here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 105.7 FM in Cape Town. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Turning conventional wisdom on its head. We're live. This is the Global Focus. We're focusing on the impacts of war, precipitated, of course, by what has been widely reported in the European nation of Ukraine at the instance of Russia. We're not really going to get into the politics of war, but perhaps engage the conversation as to the consequence of war. Our guest this evening is Professor Lindy Heineken, military sociologist and vice dean of research in the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences at Stellenbosch University. Lindy, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us on SAFM. Good evening to the listener. How are things at Stellenbosch before we talk about anything else? That's how, oh well, Stellenbosch has really been um, really rattled by the the racist incident. Um, it's really reverberating right throughout the university. And that just highlights that sometimes um, we, we know these incidences exist, but it takes a trigger like this to realize, to make us realize the, the actual depth and um, mm. the need to really work much harder to cultivate a culture of inclusivity and, and, and respect for diversity. I appreciate that response, and I really do, because I'm a former Maltese myself. Oh, with the boat. Um, yeah, I love my time there. And I did not, it should be said, I did not experience that. And, and so it would have shocked me to the core that it actually could happen to somebody. And I was roaming those streets, Victoria Line, Ace de Villiers, and I had a great time. But, yeah, it's, yeah. it's as well as you said, and it's an opportunity for us to reflect as a society. And in that regard, let us reflect on the impact of war the impact of war, I mean, South Africa is a perfect example of a post-traumatic society and the nation-building project that continues. And what happened in Stellenbosch last weekend is a consequence of years of trauma um, that has beset a people. Yeah. What's happening in the Middle East, Palestine, Israel, and sort of um, I just forget the name, unfortunately. I mean, no disrespect to even how the funeral of the slain Al Jazeera journalist in Palestine last week and all the contempt and mm-hmm. drama it courted. What we are seeing in Ukraine now is only going to extend the post-traumatic stress disorder that the world is grappling with. Never mind the fact that we are on the better side now of COVID-19. Where are we at as a global village, sociologically? Mentally, yeah, yes. I, 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 really think that this this war has has traumatized everyone at different levels within society. Just to know how how vulnerable we are, um, how insecure the world is, and how devastating and ruthless war can actually be. I mean, and it, it, it's, it, it's, you know, it affects us at so many different levels, economically, politically, ideologically, and also militarily. And in the question that I really, as a sociologist, am concerned about is whether this is just going to give rise to 
another era of militarization. Um, and this is just, um, you know, it, it really it does not place us in a good position because it just, um, every time there is these levels of insecurity, it has a developmental impact. You, you, you mentioned your fear of an era of militarization. Just talk mm-hmm. to us what that fear is. What is an era of militarization? How does it play itself out in a society? Well, I mean, do, I mean, if you look at, at, at what South Africa was look like under apartheid, we 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 saw the the um, political militarization in terms of how decision making was was made. That the recourse is 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 violence and the use of violence. And then you see the economic impact of that, how the resources of a country is sucked up into unproductive um, um, resources instead of it being invested in education and health that it disposes. And then the ideological kind of indoctrination that is associated with it. And the problem just is exactly what I've said, is that it mm. drains resources away from development into security which I always say is unproductive. Can we reference what you've just said? I was having a conversation in discussing this conversation with the production team yesterday, and Mm. I made the example and I referred to something I happened to catch on DSTV about the PTSD that was occasioned largely on the white male Afrikaans community or population following the abolishment of conscription and especially the experience of war in Angola where they literally went as a team and they came back in six, at sixes and sevens. There was just no way the South African National Defence Force as it then, or the South African Defence Force at the time could have come home with any victory attached to it. And the PTSD that was occasioned in that mm-hmm. community in South Africa at a time where then South Africa was trying to build a democratic nation. Comment on that, please. Yes, absolutely. And and what we see with PTSD is that it may be latent for many years. And I have spoken to because one of my areas of research and I actually wrote up I wrote up on this in, in my book, South Africa's post apartheid military loss and transition and transformation. It's a chapter on military veterans in that book where I actually show that uh, the the veterans that have that are now in the age group, late 50s or 60s, many suffer from post-traumatic stress. All of a sudden, all those images of the past are coming back and the reflections. So, yes, this trauma is not, doesn't, you know, um, is something that can, that can surface many um, years later, often associated with a transition in life. So, from... Um, Work at the end of your productive life, going into retirement, where you go through that transition where all these memories are coming back. People will tell me that all of a sudden they're starting to dream about what happened on the border war. So that, that this trauma is very deep and very long lasting. We're going to carry on the conversation after this very short ad break. Professor Lindy Heineken, military sociologist and vice dean of research in the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences 
at Stellenbosch University. We're talking about the impact of war, and we have to have this conversation in the light of what continues to ravage many parts of the African continent, but especially in the Middle East now, Palestine, Israel, what continues to happen there, as well as now certainly in the latter day, as from Feb, Russia and Ukraine. Your contributions are more than welcome. Johannesburg, 714-2006. Please do give us a call or drop us a voice note, 0614-104-107. Please participate in the conversation. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. We're back, we are live, we are talking about, among other things, what has become in this part of the world known as bossies. And now we are talking about bossies on a global scale following what we are now seeing play out on our television screens as what is occasioned in the country that is Ukraine in war with Russia. My guest this evening is Lindy Heineken, professor and military sociologist and vice dean of research in the Faculty of Arts Social Sciences at Stellenbosch University. Prof, let's talk about not so much the politics of the war, but here is now a generation, South Africa, that was always grappling with the impact of apartheid and colonialization before that. And the incident at Stellenbosch is a good way for us to just keep remembering that we are not on the other side of it all, the PTSD of what essentially was a country at war, if not necessarily the way Ukraine and Russia are, but the fact that we were at war with ourselves because we couldn't reconcile with our differences. We've now been reminded of all those gory past times Ukraine is now going to deal with that. Russia, in its way, is going to deal with it. It's a continuous project, 70 years old now, in the Middle East between Palestine and Israel. There doesn't seem to be a sense that the world is learning lessons from its past. I mean, the Great War and the Second World War after that, I mean, is just what happens when tensions are just allowed to be tensions and big people don't act like big people. And of course now, I mean, all the institutions that were built and established following the Second World War, I mean, I count among others the Bretton Woods institutions, the formation of NATO to ensure that we never as a world find ourselves in that sort of world. But we are in exactly that very world right now. Yeah, no, very definitely. You know, there's... Um, there's we um we if you if you'd asked me last year this time whether we would see a war like this, I would have said never. I would have said that the type of new wars that we're going to be seeing are more the kind of asymmetric wars, you know, the kind of hit and run wars, the kind of insurgency wars that we we are seeing in in Africa and elsewhere. I never in my wildest dreams um, actually thought that we would see a repeat of this. Although, even saying that, um, I, one, I was also aware of what was developing in terms of the future war debate. And, and what we are seeing at the moment is what Zichman Bauman kind, called a kind of liquid warfare, where, where the, the objective of the war is, is not clear-cut where war is being fought of a dis- at, at, at a distance primarily. We see this through artillery, through drones, through unmanned aerial vehicles. 
So there is a completely different element to this war, which is which is more lethal and more destructive um, than before. And of course, then you also have the ground forces fighting. But the fact that these these wars are being fought from longer distances in shorter times, without knowing when you're going to hit and how to react and not even to know what you're hitting is providing a completely different type of dynamic to this war that we haven't seen before. Is this a shift in global power dynamics in the geopolitical play of the world order, which for the last 70, 80 years has been dominated by the West? And by the West, I would say the members of the G7, G8, maybe the G20, and now it is a shift, however it has been occasioned. For instance, many would have seen the formation of BRICS, particularly mm-hmm. Russia and China being the mainstay powers thereof. And we all know how they tend to vote with each other in the United mm-hmm. Nations Security Council. We now know, for instance, the Trump era, Trump administration was very adversarial with China the Obama administration and the Biden administration now is also very adversarial with Russia. Russia and China, they mm-hmm. tend to think alike and they respect their boundaries in relation to when it comes to each other. They generally have a strategy that they don't interfere in the politics of other nations and to the extent that Russia might, they tend to favor the underdog. Now this can't be sitting pretty in Washington or in London. This clearly is a challenge to the world order that they have presided over, or if not presided over at a minimum, have benefited from. Could this not be part of the tension, although playing out through Russia and Ukraine? For instance, NATO expansion crossing the red line and Putin saying here and no further. What do you make of this anecdote that I've just offered? Yeah, I, I think what we are seeing here is, is, is exactly what you've highlighted, is a, a really a shift in the forces of power um, within the global domain. So uh, we, what, we are, what we are seeing most visually in front of us is, is military power being used to demonstrate um, as a show of, of what we called hard power where before we we, uh, saw a more kind of a soft power in terms of of the political interest. But we've seen this interplay between political power, economic power, ideological power, um, and and as an ideological, political, military um, power uh, playing out in, in different ways. So, you know, when we think of where this war may end, we can ask, is it going to be military force, which is going to lead to a change in a kind of a world order, or is it going to be the economic, the broader economic repercussions of this, which is going to lead to different types of shifts? And what is the ideological elements that are underlying this, you know? Um, so there is, as I said, there's various different sources of power playing out a role here, which can lead to, to, to global shifts. Let's take a couple of calls to the extent that they're coming. Mam is on the line. Mam good evening. Uh, thanks for taking my call and your guest there. You know what? Uh, this There are people, uh, I call them war psychopaths. 
you know, because if you look at the history of Europe, if you've got deeper, you know, the entire Western world, everyone else is a child of a general uh, military rank. They've been having wars after wars, uh, you know, to the extent of even extending it to the African to come in and, and, and attack the African continent. So you have these things in the Middle East, especially the history of Palestine and Israel. It's one other uh, history phenomenon that when you sit down and ask yourself, what is really the issue here? No? Because there are these war psychopath people who just putting a lot of money just for war. Man-made wars that are so senseless and, uh, you know, they, they give you a lot of questions because it's just about power, selling arms, and it's just crazy. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mom Vui. I mean, this, for perhaps you might not be aware, um, Lindy, this is a, a veteran of the struggle, and so take, please, her comments in that light. She has seen the senselessness of, open, close quote, a struggle or the struggle, as it were. Yeah. Not senseless in the context of what they were fighting for was senseless, but the fact that they were in a position to have to go through that in itself Absolutely. was senseless because of the ideology that was predicated Absolutely. on the political policies that were applicable at the time. And you speak about ideology. I mean, I think the world can't be too surprised that tensions have come to what they are now, given the fact that we have seen, certainly in the last eight to ten years, the right wings or the right wing factions of certain societies coming through Le Pen in France, the Austrian president or the Austrian chancellor now, Donald Trump spoke to that very conservative space in American society. And that's why you saw some of the things that were taking place in America, because they were emboldened by the kind of rhetoric their president represented. From an ideological perspective, how is it now that from what your research allows you to suggest, or even your taking history into consideration in the direction in which the present times are headed, what sort of ideology are we now going to engage with? Could this be just the rebirth of fascism only a hundred years on again, as we saw? You know, that's a, that's a very difficult question to answer. It all depends on, you know, what kind of extremist kind of position um, is emerging. But one one is, as you said, seeing a, 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 a rise in nationalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that nationalism eventually, I mean, leads, leads to conflict. And, and, you know, even if one looks at the Ukraine situation and, and what actually underlies this was also a nationalism. Ukrainians feeling a strong sense of nationalism and, and, and being anti-Russian and discriminating against Russian and doing very much the same kind of things that the apartheid government did, which was to ban Russian teaching in schools, to ban Russian books in libraries, and so forth. So, so those are the kind of things that you don't hear. So one is, yes, seeing this kind of... Um, and, and associated with nationalism, of course, is authoritarianism. South Africa is no different in many respects. I mean, this foreigners must go, and the latter-day conversations which are not just conversations, they have got real consequence and real impact. And I say latter day, but it's not new. I mean, 2008, for instance, when there was a major 
probably the first in our democratic era spate of xenophobia in this country. I'll never forget one newspaper article or photograph of a man who was burning and many South African, African South Africans standing around looking at an individual who looked like them in every respect with a tire around him and being charred. We are now seeing that come again only with more frequency in this country. So the rise of nationalism is not something which is outside our borders. It's very much within our own space here in South Africa. Yes, for, sh- for sure. And, you know, we uh, nationalism is, um, is associated also with othering of others which mm-hmm. are outside of that nation. Yes. And, and underlying that is often a, a, a fight over resources. We can't deny that there are certain um, structural as well as cultural factors that contribute to this kind of direct violence that we see. Finally now, because this is going to be the last comment, the trauma that South Africa has experienced from colonialism, from apartheid, and even in this democratic dispensation, for instance, Marikana, and for good measure, we don't seem to have taken any lesson out of Marikana, given what the mine workers at Sibanya Stillwater are now engaging on only 10 years on. From a sociological perspective, what do you think South Africa's great miss has been such that we have these tensions that manifest in the racial tension, in the nationalism, in the xenophobia, as a society, South Africa is not settled. What do we need to do? Yeah, this is this is really um, a difficult question to answer, as it, as, as it, um, because it, it, it it's complex. But what is concerning for me is the kind of um, instead of um, looking at the underlying and addressing the underlying causes of the extent of the violence that we are seeing in, in South Africa, we seem to be reacting to the violence with violence, not only physically, but also in the rhetoric being used um, to to mobilize people. And you know, what this thing means is that, you know, you're not moving towards it a, a discourse of reconciliation, of problem-solving, um, of, of reaching a consensus, and you still are remaining captured in this kind of conflictual relationship mm. that we find ourselves in. And, you know, this is not an easy an easy thing to address because, you know, the, the, the causes are embedded in the structures within our society. Sad times. Thank you so much, though, for your time, Professor Lindy Heineken. I, I do hope that we can one day very soon have a very much more positive conversation, not just of the world, but especially of South Africa. Goodness knows we all need it. Yes, we certainly do. Prof Heineken, thank um, you so much. But it's a better place to be than in the Ukraine. I would imagine time. it certainly is. Many South African <laughs> students who are here finishing off their degrees would happily tell you that they are infinitely better off here at home than anywhere else. 2137, that was Prof. Lindy Heineken from Stellenbosch University.